You're listening to For the Readers, a podcast to invest in those readers proclaiming the gospel in their faith communities. Each week, we'll read the gospel text as set out by the Revised Common Lectionary and then offer what may be beneficial and formational for the reader, covering such things as aid in pronunciation, an exploration of the reading for context connections and curiosities, offering one possible view of what may be essential in the text, consideration of the passage's emotional tone and how this specific text may be read well and thus heard in a life-giving way. Finally, we'll close with a prayer, poem, or some other piece that emerges from our gospel reading. All this to offer greater familiarity and a deeper interconnection with the scripture, which can become a fertile ground for the spirit to be transforming the reader and thus their community further into Christ-likeness. May we have the mind of Christ. For Pentecost 2023, the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. This coming Sunday, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, which means 50, is the Greek word that Greek-speaking Jews use for the festival that was 50 days from Passover. And on Pentecost, or the Hebrew word Shavuot, there were two uh, things that were celebrated. The first was the revelation of the Torah from God through Moses to the people. And it is this beautiful expression of God's presence, engagement, and provision to the people. The second is it's the festival of first fruits. And so uh, people from all over would make their way to Jerusalem to offer back to God. That's really important. They were, they were offering back to God all the, the first uh, fruits of their harvest as an expression of thankfulness and trust to God. And so the the Pentecost of Acts 1 and that um, we celebrate in the church or how we commemorate it is this moment where while Christ has ascended to the heavens out of the view uh, of our eyes, he has not left us uh, alone as orphans to fend for ourselves, but has sent to us from the Father the the Holy Spirit, the, the advocate, the comforter, the guide the one who will lead us 
into trusting and true ways of life. And so the, the, the Pentecost th- the, of Acts 1 stacks on these two things. That's why all of the people were in Jerusalem at that time. That's why there were people from all over speaking all different languages. It's interesting to note that the lectionary does not have us telling the Acts 1 Pentecost story, the story that we're all used to hearing, where all of the his followers were gathered together in one space, a, a mighty rushing wind comes through, there are tongues of fire that rest upon their heads, and they began speaking in languages they had no knowledge of. They're called uh, drunk, they're accused of, of drinking early in the morning, and then Peter gets up and delivers this beautiful sermon invitation. And many people that day come to Christ for life. And so instead of taking us to the day of Pentecost, the lectionary this year has us considering the what of Pentecost, how God's people have experienced something specific. They've been empowered in a specific way to be a specific healing, forgiving, peace-bringing presence in the world, the body of Christ. And so the lectionary brings us to John 20, and we see in the opening words both where we are, uh, when we are, and a little bit of John's obsession with Genesis. Uh, John is constantly talking with Genesis and how he writes his gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin with the words, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. And this day, this first day of the week is both the first day, it is, it is Sunday, but it is also uh, John speaking here uh, symbolically or mysteriously of how Christ has enacted new creation. And this is the moment of new creation, of resurrection, where things are being put back in order in a way on a scale that humanity has yet to see. And so Christ breathes on them, bringing us back into that Genesis mindset where the humans are breathed into by God for life. Our life is God's breath in us. He commissions them. He sends them out into the world to be and bring forgiveness. And he speaks peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness to them, addressing both their fears, and that they are also participants in the reconciliation, the healing, the mending, the restoring, the peace-building thing that God is doing with his human partners in this world that God created and God loved. I offer that one of the essential things that's happening in this text is that we are being reminded that we are peace-builders We are those who have been invited to participate in the restoring, in the healing of the world, in wholeness and completeness, in shalom. I want to share this definition of what shalom is, at least in the context of Scripture, from a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin, by Cornelius Plantinga. As the great writing prophets of the Bible knew, Sin has a thousand faces. The prophets knew how many ways human life can go wrong because they knew how many ways human life can go right. These prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain. The foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, 
The mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humanity would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood, and all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in streets and from men on ships. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So what is Christ inviting us into? Who is Christ inviting us to become? Little Christs, Christians, ones who walk out the way of Jesus in our world and are participating in um, in forgiving and restoring and are participating in building peace, wholeness, shalom, universal flourishing, restoring, um, not, not in time machine, not going back in time, but moving forward past the past into this sacred future that God has for us and that we're an integral part of. And all of this is deeply connected to our being inspired, um, in breathed, that God has breathed into us. And that's what energizes and moves us along. One other thing to be mindful of as we prepare to come and read and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to those in our community is recognizing that how we read it, the tone, um, the pacing, the inflection, all of the, the nuances of how we, how we say these words out loud have an accumulating effect on how people hear God's voice in their head. If you grow up in a church that is preaching hellfire and brimstone, you're more likely to hear God as angry. If you grow up in an apathetic church, you're more likely to hear God as apathetic. If you if you participate in a deeply emotional community, you're more likely to hear God as deeply emotional and so on and so forth, right? So how we do these things, how it is, especially we read the word of God as we proclaim the gospel, the good news about God's presence in our lives has an accumulating effect for how all of the people in our communities will hear God um, speak in their lives. And so we can do these in really life-giving ways, which is, of course, is what we want. But we, we also have to recognize that we can do this in a way that is not life-giving. So as we come this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, to read these words from John 20, I want to invite us to recognize that in this passage, Christ is a non-anxious, calming presence among those who are afraid and uncertain about what the future looks like. He breathes on them. This is definitionally what it means to inspire someone, to put your, to, to breathe uh, into them. He speaks peace to them, to them who are afraid. He says peace, but also is this way of sending them out into the world. You are peace builders. You are shalom carriers. 
you experience universal flourishing in me, and you get to participate in, in the cultivation of universal flourishing out in the world everywhere. And then finally, he speaks to them about forgiveness. Now, as you're reading, you might feel some anxiety over the last lines here where Jesus says, if you forgive, it is forgiven, and if you do not forgive, it is not forgiven. And I want to offer a, a way of hearing this that I think is true, and it is true because of how it is healing for us. Here, Christ isn't saying, if you don't forgive, then forgiveness will not be given to someone, as though we are the ones who get to hold forgiveness back, that we're the ones in control, we're the arbiters. But rather, he's speaking about this reality that if his people, if the body of Christ is not a forgiving people in the world, then who will be? If the ones who follow the one who said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing, aren't forgiving people, then, then who will be? Who will carry this reality into, into our world? I want to close by reading a poem from Jan Richardson called When We Breathe Together. It's found in her book, uh, Circle of Grace. In the, it's in the section on Ascension and Pentecost. This poem is fitting because it speaks about what happens when we're together. Peace happens in togetherness. The breathing of life into each other happens when we're together. Forgiveness happens when we're together. Togetherness is the venue that our faith and our lives plays out in. So here it is. When We Breathe Together by Jan Richardson. This is the blessing we cannot speak by ourselves. This is the blessing we cannot summon by our own devices, cannot shape to our own purposes, cannot bend to our own will. This is the blessing that comes when we leave behind our aloneness, when we gather together, when we turn toward one another. This is the blessing that blazes among us, when we speak the words strange to our ears, when we finally listen into the chaos, when we breathe together at last. Amen. Grace and peace to you, friends.